Good evening. I was asked to give an update on uh, senior camp and my trip out to Louisiana. Uh, as far as senior camp goes, uh, thank you for praying. I had the uh, rebel of the week in my cabin. That goes by Nathan Brooks. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, he, he was very good. But this year was a year that posed uh, a lot of new challenges for us at senior camp. Uh, when I was a camper, we'd only have maybe uh, 15 to 20 campers that had never been up to camp. Um, this year, we had about 40 or 50 who's, who had never been to camp and never really even heard of Verdugo Pines. And uh, it was a program uh, that was out in Santa Ana, I believe. And um, these were not just normal, you know, people. These were these were wrestlers. There was a, a woman and there was a women's team and a men's wrestling team that came up. Um, and and many of these campers just lived very uh, difficult life. Uh, many of them were abused in many ways, and so you had all these kids who were just so angry. Uh, they had hard hearts, and um, luckily the, the Lord was still able to work through us, but we planted a lot of seeds, but uh, many of these kids, uh, like I said, just had hard hearts, and so uh, what, what was kind of cool about the whole thing, though, was Saturday night we go up there, and uh, Brian gets a call, and it's a, a male counselor saying that he can't come. For some odd reason, he can't come. Uh, luckily, he had one counselor on hold whose uh, name is Todd Helfenstein from Bethel Bible Chapel, um, and, and he actually coaches wrestling at his high school. And so uh, the Lord worked it out. He was a great help. He was able to give us insights on uh, these young men and women and um, just really the backgrounds they come from and, you know, what goes through their head. And so uh, the Lord, you know, was working through it um, in that way, and so it was very nice to be up there. Uh, as far as Galilee went, uh, many people come up to me asking, uh, Nick, did you learn a lot? And the answer is yes, but I, I don't think I learned exactly what I was intending to learn or, or what many people imagine you would learn. Uh, I did learn quite a bit about the word that I didn't know before, but really I think the Lord is just showing me things in my life that um, just things that I hold dear, things that um, have no eternal value. And that's what I'll be sharing with you this morning from the Word as well. Uh, if you could turn to Philippians chapter 3, uh, I'll kind of give you updates as we go. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Um, the, the title of the message tonight is The Pursuit of Christ. Um, and if, if I could just ask you, uh, what do you pursue in life? Uh, what is it that uh, floods your mind each and every day? Is it that promotion uh, potential at work? Is it um, perhaps a relationship you're with? Is it um, um, perhaps it's more material things? You're saving for a house, you're saving for that car, whatever the case may be. What is it that you pursue in life? And uh, think about that. Um, there, was a, there was a prayer that was prayed each and every day at the Galilee program, really. And the, the prayer was that we wouldn't compare ourselves to one another but we compare ourselves to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it was something that, that, that I realized that I, I kind of did, uh, something I struggled with is pride. Um, and, and many people up there struggled with pride as well. And so many of us were battling that the whole time, not comparing ourselves to one another, but comparing ourselves to Christ. And in the book of Philippians, uh, Paul gives us four examples of men. Uh, the first, perhaps being the most familiar, uh, is Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He gives us the example of Christ as the humble servant. Uh, he then goes on to give us the example of Timothy. Um, he calls him many times the son in the faith. And the example that we have of Timothy is that he was a man who did not seek his own, but he sought the things which were of the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, um, he tells us of Epaphroditus. Um, 
the, 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 the reason that he's writing to the church of Philippi at this time is really to thank them for a gift that he had received from the saints. And Epaphroditus was a man who um, most likely was a member of the church of Philippi. He was the one who traveled the, the long journey to make the trip uh, to give Paul the, the gift that the church was giving him. And throughout the trip, uh, Epaphroditus got very ill, uh, almost to the point of death. But the encouragement that Paul had from him was that Epaphroditus just kept going. He just kept going. And the, and the example we have of him is that he was one who did not um, value his life um, above his service toward the Lord. And so finally, he gives the example of himself. Um, and, and, and Paul takes this opportunity in writing, the, writing this letter to the church to thank them for this gift that he has received. He takes this opportunity to build them up, uh, to encourage them as, he is, as they have encouraged him so greatly. Um, and so we get to the, the portion of scripture where he starts to, to build them up and to prepare them for what is ahead. Um, and so here we are in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we'll start by reading verses 1 through 11. Uh, my goal was to actually go through uh, tra- half of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3, but I, I figured that was a little too much. But uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So at this time, Paul gives a warning to the people. He's warning them against false teachers. Uh, These were people that were uh, most likely um, Jewish people, people that were uh, professing to be saved, that they might come in and um, uh, teach false teachings in the church to uh, corrupt the church inside. And he calls them dogs. He calls them evil, evil workers. And, and he tells them to take heed, um, to, to, to beware against these false people, these false teachers. Um, uh, these teachers came in teaching that um, there was more required to be saved than that of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were teaching that um, you had to obey the law still. You had to be circumcised. You had to do this and you had to do that. And Paul tells them to take heed against these people. Um, and you can see that they were teaching um, that, that you needed to be circumcised. And Paul clears that up and says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Um, if you could, just hold your finger there and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10. I know we just got to Philippians. When I was in brigades years ago, I was required to read through Deuteronomy, and this is a thought that I came across this verse, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head 
ever since. But we know that these false teachers and many false, uh, or many Jewish people at the time, they, they, they clung to all of these, these rituals, the law. They clung to these things and believed that everyone had to, to, believe, to obey these things. Well, we get to Deuteronomy chapter 10 um, and verse 12. This is when the Lord is speaking of um, a circumcision and so on. And he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth, um, with all that is in it. The Lord delighted not only in your fathers to love them, and he chose uh, their descendants after them, uh, you above all people, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be uh, stiff-necked no longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, uh, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Uh, this thought of, of, of circumcising your heart. Uh, the, whole, the whole point and purpose of the people circumcising themselves was that uh, they could be set apart for God's purpose in, in a physical way. But we see here that the Lord desired not only for them to um, circumcise themselves in a physical way, but to circumcise their heart. Uh, he desired their heart above all else. He wanted them to serve him in, with a heart that was loving and obedient to him in, in love. And so uh, we see that these people, although they did know the law and they knew all these facts about the law, uh, they did not understand the purpose of it. Um, he desires our heart. And so God did not simply want them to cling on to their rituals, but he wanted them to be obedient to him um, out of love. Um, the circumcision of the heart is very interesting. You should look at it for yourself. Um, but then he goes on in, in verses 4 through 6. In verses 4 through 6, um, we know that the, the, the Jewish people took pride in three things. Um, that was their ancestry, uh, the fact that they could trace their, their descendants back to Abraham so that they could prove uh, the very fact that they were Jewish, that they were that chosen of God. Uh, they, they took pride in their orthodoxy, uh, the very fact that what they believed was from God and that which was true. And finally, they took pride in the fact of their morality, um, how they conducted themselves, how they acted on a day-to-day -day basis. And so Paul then begins to uh, look upon these people, and you can just imagine him writing, with, writing this with a smirk on his face, thinking of all these people that are taking pride in themselves, taking pride in all the things that they've obeyed, and he reflects on himself and the life which uh, he lived in obedience to the Lord. Um, but in verses uh, 4 through 6, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have uh, confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Um, Paul begins to tell them that he too was Jewish by birth. Um, he tells them that he, he too can... Um, trace his way back. Uh, he was of the stock of, of, of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, the Benjamites were actually very proud, proud people. They took proud in, pride in, in the little things, such as um, Saul, uh, the very first uh, king of Israel, came from their tribe. And they took very much pride in those things. And so he, he's able to list that. Um, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He belonged to a part um, that held on to its original um, it's, a, uh, it's original language, it's original Hebrew languages and customs. 
Um, he knew more than, he wasn't just your typical um, Jewish person. He was, he was a, a man of, of great um, knowledge. Um, he then goes on to, to talk of uh, how he was a Pharisee, um, how he was very zealous in persecuting the church. He, he believed that in persecuting the church, he was actually doing the Lord's work. Uh, he looked upon Christianity and um, saw them as a threat to his religion. And so he went on to proceed to try and um, obliterate the church, if you would. Um, but we see that, that he, he had qualifications, each and every qualification that one might need in order to boast in themselves. Um, but yet he decides not to. Um, uh, and then he, he goes on. Um, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Um, this is a verse that some people have a difficulty with, verse 6. Uh, blameless. Does that mean, you know, he was perfect, that he obeyed the law perfectly? Um, Bill McDonald notes that, um, to take note that it says blameless, not sinless. Um, and, and Paul actually admits in Romans chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, that he, he was not able to fulfill the law uh, to its letter. But what, what this most likely means is that when he did mess up, when he didn't obey the law, he was very careful to offer sacrifice to the Lord, to be cleansed in that way. And so we see that, that he had all the qualifications to boast within himself. And I promise there's a reason why we're going through this. Uh, but in, verses chapter, uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, uh, he goes on. And he says, But what things were gained to me, these I, I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I, may ga that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Paul describes all of these things that he could very easily boast in. And we know that many of the Pharisees did boast in who they were, the life they lived, uh, what descendants they were from, but he decided not to. And he goes on and on to say that he calls them lost. And, and this word lost could be translated to, ha to have over. Um, in comparison to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, these things are, are completely below. Um, he then goes on to, uh, actually Vines says this phrase could be translated, the surpassing thing which consists in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Um, in other words, uh, the very thing that Paul loves, the very thing that Paul and many people took pride in, he counts loss. Uh, it was nothing in comparison to, um, to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he refers to these things in a different word as rubbish. In the original text, this word for rubbish was actually a, a very strong word, um, uh, a kind of word that I'm sure if, if my mother heard me say, she might gasp. It was, it was a very vulgar term, uh, rubbish. It, it, um, I believe King James translates it as um, a dung. It's literally a pile of poop. You know, it's, it's disgusting. It's, it's hideous. It, 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 is, um, it is just gross. And he says in comparison to knowing Christ, it's nothing. It's disgusting. It's gross. Um, it's pitiful. Uh, I could go on and on describing this word. Um, but I think in, in summing this part up of, of Paul's life, you could say, you could sum it up with one verse, and that is, friendship with the world is enmity against God. When, when Paul came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he counted all those things as loss. He placed the Lord Jesus Christ above all of those things. And for Paul, uh, that didn't mean just, just, just changing his life. It, it meant giving up his... Um, public standing. Now, people would look upon the Pharisees with respect, with admiration of their knowledge of the word, 
They would go to him with questions. It would mean him, him giving up his, his place among the, his, his, um, his honored place in the public. It, it would also mean him giving up his, his seat at the synagogue. He never returned to the man that he was, which is what amazes me. He never returned. And I wish I could say that that, was, that were true for so many Christians today. That we came, when we came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we never returned to the person we were before. But so many Christians, so many of my friends who profess to have been saved, decided to just return to the life in which they used to live. But Paul never returned. He counted it all loss. Um, he truly um, gave those things up. And so you could say that the man that pursues Christ uh, places Christ um, above anything the world has to offer. Above anything the world has to offer. And that's our, point, that's our, our goal today, to look at uh, Paul as the man who pursues Christ. He goes on, and this is my favorite part of the portion of Scripture. He says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Um, it was not enough for Paul to simply know Christ as his Savior. Uh, it was not enough for Paul to simply know Christ as his Savior. Uh, this is perhaps the biggest thing that the Lord laid on my heart. I want you to imagine uh, that it's your anniversary. Okay, and you remember it's your anniversary. I know for many people uh, that's the biggest battle, just remembering the date. But you remember it's your anniversary, and it's your 15-year anniversary, and so uh, you and your spouse decide to, to go to your favorite, favorite restaurant. It's 15 years. I mean, your marriage is already longer than, I'd say, 80% of marriages today. You know, so you're celebrating. It's 15 years. You, you go to your favorite favorite restaurant, and the waitress comes over and asks if you're ready to order. And so you, you order. For me, I'd probably order probably order a steak. You know, give me the beef. Give me the beef. And so then the, the waitress turns to your spouse. And your spouse has a strange response. She, your spouse asks about a dish. You know, does it have any peanuts in it? Is it cooked with any nuts? Is it, does it have any peanut oil in it at all? And, and the waitress response says, no, there, there's none of that in it. And so she says, okay, I'll order that. And as the waitress walks away, you ask your spouse, why, why did you need to know if it had any nuts in it? And your, your spouse responds and says, well, I've been allergic to nuts my whole life. And you had no idea. Now, that, that was a random example, but at the Galilee program, there's a girl there who is deathly allergic to nuts. But anyways, um, th that's just what the Lord revealed to me, was the very fact that you couldn't say, if that was your spouse, that you knew your spouse well. That knew, you knew your spouse on, on a very personal level. If you didn't simply know that your spouse was allergic to peanuts, you could say, well, well I remembered... What my, what my anniversary was. I remembered what her, her favorite restaurant was, and I took her there. And that's just what the Lord revealed to me, I think. The very fact that I know Christ is my Savior, and I, and I do know many things about Him, but I didn't know Him as a person. And I, I think that's, that's true of a lot of Christians today. The fact that we're satisfied and content with knowing Christ as our Savior, but we don't know Him as our friend. Um, I, like I said, I've been saved for about 15 years. And I have friends that, that I've been friends with for maybe four or three years, and I actually already know them better than I know the Lord, know, know him uh, on a personal level. And I think the reason for that is because we've, we've turned the person of God into an academic study. And that was a message we had at, at Galilee all by itself. We treat the person of God as, as a means for just gaining knowledge, gaining wisdom. When we approach the Word of God, do we approach it in a way where we want to seek and know the Lord more, or do we want to simply know more about Him? 
And for me, unfortunately, I think I can't honestly say that, that, that I seek to know him when I open the word. But Paul goes on, it wasn't enough. He wants to know him and the power of his resurrection. He's already saved, but I want to know Christ. I want to know who he is. I want to know this person who gave himself for me, who died in my place. And I want to know who he is. And, you know, we often sing, sing hymns, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. But is he really your friend? Or is he simply someone you, you go and, you know, ask, ask, ask for stuff all the time? Or is he someone that you really want to get to know. Uh, the question we can ask is, do I know the Lord better than I know my spouse? Uh, do I know the Lord better than I know all my friends at school? And for me, I can, well, I'm not married, but I can honestly say that, you know, I don't. Uh, but that's something I'm, I'm working on. So the, the man that pursues Christ is never content with his knowledge of Christ, but he wants to know furthermore who he is. Um, but he goes on in uh, verse 12 through 14. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of the specific purpose that Christ had for him. And, and the, the purpose that he has for each and every one of us is that we would be conformed more and more to the image of his son. And, and we can read that in Romans 8 and verse 29. Um, I've talked to, to many people and they say, you know what? I really can't wait until I'm in heaven and I'm like Christ. Uh, well, I always tell them, well, you don't have to wait to try and be like Christ till that day. You know, we, we ought to be pursuing Christ and the person that who he is, that we might become more and more like him here. Uh, but the very fact is you, you, can't, you can't be more like someone unless you know who that person is. Uh, I always, I've used the example before, but, but my dad, you know, when he mowed the lawn when I was little, I, I had this little lawn mower that was plastic that when you pushed it, you know, you blow bubbles out the side. Whatever my dad did, that's what I wanted to do. Um, I remember I, I had a little uh, engineer's hat with a, with a train whistle. I wanted to be just like my dad. Uh, every, every moment he was home, I was tired of being surrounded by women, so you know, I'd drink a cup of coffee with him. You know, I, I'd do everything that I possibly could, but, and, I, and as I got to know my, my dad more, I was able to be more like him. But you can't be more like someone unless you know who that person is. Um, and so that is our purpose, uh, for us to be more and more like the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul admits to not attaining that state of perfection um, but it's interesting, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, not that I, this is when he's thanking them for the gift, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Um, he's speaking of um, whatever situation the Lord places him in, whether it's a position that uh, he flourishes with, with supplies and, and stuff, or whether he's, he's homeless, whether he's shipwrecked or whatever the case may be, he says, um, I've learned to be content. Paul was content with the physical things that the Lord gave him and perhaps didn't give him, but he was never content with where he was spiritually. He always wanted to press on, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Um, the person that pursues Christ, he never looks back, but he always looks forward. And I think that's such a tendency for us as believers. We look back at perhaps the mistakes we've made, we look back and we say, well, how can the Lord use me? 
And when we have all this guilt that fills our heart, and, and, we, and instead of moving forward, we sit there and just look back and we feel discouraged and we don't move. Or perhaps we look back and we see all the good that we've already done and we say, all right, I can take a break. But Paul, he, he never took a break. And we know that Paul, uh, he was probably very, very guilty. Very, he felt very guilty of, perse- of persecuting the church. But he never let that affect him. He said, what I, what I did is what I did. The Lord's using me through it. So the man that pursues Christ moves forward. He never looks back. He always moves forward. Whether good or bad, he never looks back. Um, so that's an encouragement we have. And I think there, there, there's a big danger in, in looking back and seeing the good. Because then we become content with what we've done. Um, I know I, I went through a phase of that. Um, but being content. He was never content. He always wanted to move forward. He always wanted to press forward and pursuing Christ and what the Lord had for him on that day. Um, and he, he, he speaks of of uh, reaching forward for the prize at the finish line. Um, And Paul lived each and every day with the day in which he would stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in mind. And I I wish that that was us today, uh, where we'd wake up every morning thinking, perhaps this is the day we could stand before the Lord. I'm going to make this day matter. Paul had that mentality each and every day. This could be my last day. I'm going to make it count. And yet, you know, we think about that maybe on Sundays, but you know Monday through through Saturday, we might not, it might not even cross our mind. Uh, but Paul was always reaching forward. He was always looking ahead, always reaching forward that he might attain the prize, which is at the finish line. Um, is that true for us today? It's not true for me. Uh, but then he goes on in verse 15. He says, "Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God re- will reveal even this to you." Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you have for us a pattern. Paul could honestly say, follow me as I follow Christ. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, can you honestly say that today? Um, husbands, could you say that to your wives? Just follow me as I follow Christ. Mothers, could you say that to your children? Could you say that to your friends? Whatever the case may be, could you honestly say, follow me as I follow Christ? Uh, But Paul could because he was following Christ each and every day. Um, These are just things that the the Lord laid on my heart. We we actually outlined the book of Philippians while I was there, and uh, there's just so much that I would like to share. Um, But in, in verse 18, he goes on, he says, For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is in their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So in the previous verses, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow all all those who are are following my example. You have this pattern. He then moves on to say um, of those not to follow. And he's referring back to those that are coming into the church that are teaching all these bad things, uh, these untrue things. And he says, for many walk of whom I often told you, and I'll tell you even weeping. Paul, there's one thing you can say of Paul, it was that he had a great heart for the lost. He had a great heart for the, for the nation of Israel. And he would plead with many of them that they would come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one thing, this is an, another big thing that the Lord revealed to me, was uh, just the heart that I didn't have 
for the lost people in this world. Um, I remember you wake up every morning and, you know, there's a devotional, there's, there's singing, and then, you know, Jim McCarthy would get up and, you know, he'd give, a, he'd give a message, you know, he'd teach you all these things. And my goodness, it was heaven hearing, hearing Brady, hearing, uh, hearing Jim McCarthy every morning, hearing all these brothers. Uh, they, would, they would Skype in Scott DeGroff, he'd give us a message, and Micah Tuttle, and all these people. And so you're surrounded by all these great teachers all the time, and I just loved it. I filled up my, my notebook. Uh, and I remember that after Jim McCarthy got up, there's this, uh, there's this man who I named Grant Ferrer, I believe his last name is Grant Ferrer. Um, and and he, his, his ministry is planting churches in uh, Spain, I believe it is, Spain. Um, and, and he would get up and just teach us how to share our faith. And, and you know, he's a very nice guy. I, I do appreciate what he's saying, but I'm just like, I'm, I know the gospel. I know how to, how to give it to someone. I don't, I don't need this. Can, you know, Jim McCarthy just get up and, and talk some more? And that was my heart. That was my mentality. And, and, and the Lord just revealed that to me that I, I just really didn't care for what he was talking about. I really just didn't have a heart for the lost in this world. Uh, and he used this example, and I think it's so true. Uh, in, in Acts, you always read of them going out into the city. They always, you, they're always going out. They go out into Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. They're going out. Well, the church today, we have our doors wide open, but no one's going out. And here we are praying, Lord, just bring someone to church. Just bring someone to church today. And you see, that's just, it's just not right. We need to, to open our doors outward that we may go out and bring people in. Um, we, need, we need to be active. And Paul had a heart for the lost. And we see that, that the man that pursues Christ also pursues the lost. Um, he has a heart for the lost. Do you have a heart for the lost? Uh, you know, we're surrounded each and every day by people that um, aren't saved. Um, family members, family friends, co-workers, um, people that we go to class with uh, that aren't saved. And yet we, we say, Lord, just give me an opportunity. Just give me an opportunity. He often gives us an opportunity and we don't take advantage. Uh, do you have a heart for the lost? Um, and then he goes on. Uh, he goes on in, chapter, in verse 20. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul reminds them that their citizenship is in heaven. Uh, he, speaks, he speaks in other places, you know, if this tent were destroyed, we have citizenship in heaven. And I think so often we, we find ourselves investing in the things of this world. We often forget that our citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth. And here we are investing ourselves, investing our money, investing our time in things of this world. Things that aren't necessarily bad in work in school, in, in, in our house, in our cars, and all these things. They're not necessarily bad things, but they're things that just don't matter. And we have to take advantage of what the Lord has given us. Um, and and th there's this idea, he says, um, of, of eagerly waiting for the Savior. And it's an original uh, text. Um, it is to express the earnest expectation of something believed to be imminent. It means literally to thrust forward the head and neck as an anxious, anxious expectation of hearing or seeing something. To thrust your head and neck forward in, in, ancient, in anxious expectation. Uh, are we eagerly waiting for the coming of the Lord? And if we were, well, we would go out. 
we would be spending so much time in the Word. And you, you know, it's funny, being at camp, uh, you're surrounded by these teenagers who, had, who just had their phones taken away. And, and they're, they're taken away for the whole week. And many of them, you could tell, were just dying. And I remember asking kids after, you know, what was your favorite part of camp? That moment I got my phone back. They, you know, they just, they were dying to have their phone. And, and, and they were dying because they wanted to talk to their friends. They wanted to go on Facebook and all of these things. And I just remembered when, when, I, was, when I was younger and, you know, there was a young lady I would like, I would often, you know, invest so much of my time into talking to that person. And I, I know that there's so many other things that I would just invest my time in doing. Things that aren't necessarily bad, just things that don't really matter right now. And they're just a waste of our time. And so our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, we, should, we should live in a way where we're eagerly waiting for the, for the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're investing ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you, do you know Christ? Not just as your Savior. It's praise the Lord that we can know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. But do you know him as your Lord? Do you know him as your friend? Like I said, I, you know, I've been a, a member of the Bride of Christ for 15 years now, and I still can't say that I know who he is. I might know, know about him, and I might know more about him than, people, than some people my age know, but I don't know him, and I'll be honest with you. And that's what the Lord really revealed to me while I was at the Galilee program, just how much your heart matters, your mentality towards things. I was in the Word but I, wasn't, I didn't have the right mindset going into the Word. And so what is your mindset? What is your mindset today? To know Christ or to simply know more about Him? If, if you didn't spend time with, with your spouse, uh, you can imagine you know, the, the, the hardships your marriage might have, or perhaps if, if one, one spouse was just talking the whole time and you never got a word, and you can imagine um, the troubles you'd have in your marriage. Perhaps we need to, to, to listen, not to seek, but also to listen, to eagerly wait, to hear or to see something. So that's what the Lord laid on my heart. Uh, we'll get out a little early. Uh, more fellowship, time for fellowship, but uh, thank you for, for praying. I know that, that many people uh, in this assembly pray for me um, often, and, and I, I do feel it. Please keep praying. There's just so much more uh, I need to be working on, so let's just, let's just pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, uh, we would confess to you this evening that um, perhaps um, our heart isn't in the right place all the time. Father, we um, invest our time in, in things that don't necessarily matter. We invest our resources. Father, we give pieces of our heart away to this world. And Father, we know that you desire our heart, and you're really the only one worthy of our heart. And so, Lord, we would just ask that you would continually work on our hearts. Father, we thank you that we can come before you with full assurance of, of, of who your son is. He is our savior. He's the one who paid uh, the debt that we could not pay. Father, he is our savior. But Father, we know that you desire to know us so much more than that. Father, help us to not be content in our knowledge of who you are. Father, help us to keep pursuing you, the things that matter, the things that you place in our life. Help us to keep pursuing those things. So God, we would just ask, that you would be with us, that you would help us to truly shine in this world. Father, give us boldness, we pray. And we just thank you, Father, for all the blessings that are ours in your Son and the love that you have for us each and every day. So, Father, we just commit this night to you and ask for your special blessing upon it. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.